0: The Israelites are commanded to uphold justice. But what does that mean after coming out of Egypt all these years? Good morning, good afternoon, good evening. My name is Rod Hembro.
1: I'm Janice.
0: And this is Bible Discovery TV, a program taking you through the Bible. Glad you decided to join us as we do that today. Let's listen. Now, Corey is here with Ryan. What's going on, Corey?
2: Well, I'm going to be taking a look at some of the laws related to warfare in Deuteronomy. Ryan?
3: Did Jesus break the Mosaic law when he allowed the adulteress
0: in John chapter 8 to go free? Well, we'll look at that carefully. All right. Very good. Look forward to both of those reports coming up in about 20 minutes. Janice, what'd you do?
1: My segment today is called Finders Keepers.
0: All right. Very good. So get your Bible out. This is the most important book of all, and we've read it 30, well, this is our 32nd time in reading it. And so we're going to get that and get your Bible guide out. Let's go through the Bible and listen to what God is saying to us.
1: Deuteronomy 22, verses 1 through 5. You shall not see your brother's ox or his sheep going astray, and hide yourself from them. You shall certainly bring them back to your brother. And if your brother is not near you, or if you do not know him, then you shall bring it to your own house, and it shall remain with you until your brother seeks it. Then you shall restore it to him. You shall do the same with his donkey, and so shall you do with his garment. With any lost thing of your brother's which he has lost and you have found, you shall do likewise. You must not hide yourself. You shall not see your brother's donkey or his ox fall down along the road and hide yourself from them. You shall surely help him lift them up again. A woman shall not wear anything that pertains to a man, nor shall a man put on a woman's garment, for all who do so are an abomination to the Lord your God. Deuteronomy chapter 22, verses 1 through 5.
0: Deuteronomy chapter 19 to 23, that's our reading today as we go through the Bible. It's very, very interesting, actually. In fact, the world today has never been more connected. Do you think that's good? Many question whether this makes us better as a society or a people than we were before. It's a good question. Now, the ancient world is very different than the modern world to the achievements of technology have advanced us. And because of our advancements, many merge society's improvements with moral good, as if we are morally better than we were before. In doing so, many academics are attempting to rewrite history the way that we like to see history. Not just history though, Basic technological differences are being ignored as well. If you're born one gender, you can rewrite your gender based on how you currently feel. How do you feel? Now, you can get hormone injections or surgery to make virtually any desired change. Now, this is new, never within our reach of all of history past. So today we find ourselves faced with many decisions about following the Bible or following what we think. Many have made decisions not to follow any biblical ideas, but many have made opposite decisions to follow something else making themselves God. Now this is very interesting and this relates to what we're talking about today. Very important. Take your Bible guide and turn today to today's passage And if you don't have your Bible guide, I'm going to ask the question, why not? Because this is very important. And so what you do is you simply use the address or the phone number or go to the Bible Discovery TV webpage and click on the Bible guide. And I would like to say thank you for all of the people who do so because it takes you to a donation page. But then it takes you to a page which has, of course, the place where you can download the PDF files as they are presented. And that's very, very interesting. So today we're gonna talk about a new history, Deuteronomy chapter 22. Father, help us as we read five verses, as we look at this passage of scripture and try to understand it, help us to know what you're saying to us and why you're saying it and teach us your way. Now, we're not gonna read into the Bible, Lord, And apply our ideas here. But we're going to read from the Bible and let it change our heart. So help us to do that in Jesus' wonderful name. Amen and amen. Now, when Moses is uh, talking to the people, he speaks in this way in Deuteronomy. This is absolutely fascinating. Now remember, he will not carry on into the promised land. But he's talking to the people about what God said. And Deuteronomy 22 verse 1 says, You shall not see your brother's ox or his sheep going astray and hide yourselves from them. You shall certainly bring them back to your brother. And if your brother is not near you or you do not know him, then you shall bring it to your own house and it shall remain with you until your brother seeks it. And then you shall restore it. To him, which brings me to this point, which is interesting. The Israelites were commanded by God to uphold justice and take care of their neighbors. Commanded. Now, our work for God's benefits everyone, not just ourselves. Beloved, today we see this and it's interesting. You know, somebody does something wrong and we're like, I didn't see it. I didn't see it. I didn't see it. That's not so. If you're a Christian and you believe in the Lord, when you see somebody doing something to somebody else that's not right, you are obligated to immediately draw attention to that, to the authorities. Now that's what the law of God says. And that's what he said to ancient Israel. He said, when you see something going wrong, contact everybody in the person, and they must not do that thing that's wrong. Or if somebody's livestock got lost and you see it pick it up take it and hold it for him until he comes to get it that's a very interesting challenge isn't it and that's something that we need to pay attention to as citizens in today's world now deuteronomy chapter 22 verses 3 and 4 say you shall do the same with his donkey and so shall you do with his garment and with any lost thing any lost thing of your brothers, which he has lost and you have found. You shall likewise, you shall do likewise rather. You must not hide yourself. Don't hide. You shall not see your brother's donkey or his ox fall down along the road and hide yourself from them. You shall surely help him and lift them up Again, which brings me to this point, the Israelites were not to ignore or turn away from problems, but they were commanded, there's that word again, to help. Being a citizen of the kingdom of God means we watch out and care for each other. We take care of each other, beloved. That becomes very important. Now, remember, we can't simply you know, kick it off and say, I'm not going to worry about it. But we have to be aware, beloved. You know, we can't just sit here and say, well, I didn't see it and pretend like we didn't. We have to pay attention and say, this is what I saw and this is what I understand. And that's important today. Now let's go on to the last passage because it's one verse that's very interesting. Deuteronomy chapter 22, verse 5. Here is what the Bible says. A woman shall not wear anything that pertains to a man. Now, this is the Bible, the Holy Scripture. It's been around for 2000 years, longer than any government. A woman shall not wear anything that pertains to a man, nor shall a man put a woman's garment, put on a woman's garment. For all who do so are an abomination to the Lord your God. That's what the Bible says. God calls his people not to imitate other genders. God calls his people not to imitate other genders. We should be prepared to adopt our lifestyle to the ways of God's word. Now, listen carefully, because this is very important. I'm speaking to people who have said, Lord Jesus, I am your servant, and I submit my life and my ways and my desires to you. Help me, Lord, I'm going to read your Bible and I'm going to try to understand, so help me. Well, this is what the Bible says. So beloved, when we pray and ask the Lord to help us, do you know what happens? Does the Lord run off somewhere? No, he doesn't. His Holy Spirit descends on our life and his Holy Spirit helps us to achieve the things that he has given us to achieve. Beloved Jesus Christ did that and says to us, follow me. So if we follow Jesus Christ, then we too, through the power of the Holy Spirit, through God's help, nothing of ourselves, we can take the power of God and say, Lord, we need to change, help us to change. People who are Christian, people who've said that, that is what it requires. Remember, love your neighbor as yourself and love the Lord your God with all of your heart, all of it, all of your soul and all of your strength. The two greatest commandments that Jesus Christ commanded us today. Jesus Christ spoke to us and told us not to be afraid, not to be troubled by these times. This is the beginning of the end. This is the beginning of God's final reconciliation with the world. God is going to make things change in our lives. And this is very important. He has selected you and myself to live in this time. And I find that absolutely amazing.
3: Well, it's time now to carry on with our Bible study. And today I'm attempting to answer a potentially problematic scriptural contradiction. Wow, try to say that 10 times fast. Well, in the law code given to Moses by God, there is a command that anyone who commits adultery shall be put to death. But Jesus in John chapter 8 seems to let an adulteress totally off the hook. Now many believe that Jesus broke the Mosaic law here, but did he really? Well, let's take a very close look. Many insist that the Bible cannot be the word of God as it so claims, due to its many errors and inconsistencies. However, the errors and inconsistencies lie not with the Bible, but with the Bible skeptic. For example, critics claim that there is a contradiction between Leviticus 20 and John 8. Leviticus chapter 20 verse 10 states clearly that the man who commits adultery with another man's wife, he who commits adultery with his neighbor's wife, the adulterer and the adulteress shall surely be put to death. Yet Jesus in John chapter 8 verses 3 through 11 apparently breaks this command, when he allows an adulteress to go free. The passage reads, Then the scribes and Pharisees brought to him a woman caught in adultery. And when they had set her in the midst, they said to him, Teacher, this woman was caught in adultery in the very act. Now Moses in the law commanded us that such should be stoned. But what do you say? This they said, testing him that they might have something of which to accuse him. But Jesus stooped down and wrote on the ground with his finger as though he did not hear. So when they continued asking him, he raised himself up and said to them, He who is without sin among you, let him throw a stone at her first. And again he stooped down and wrote on the ground. Then those who heard it, being convicted by their conscience, went out one by one, beginning with the oldest even to the last. And Jesus was left alone, and the woman standing in the midst. When Jesus had raised himself up and saw no one but the woman, he said to her, woman where are those accusers of yours has no one condemned you she said no one lord and jesus said to her neither do i condemn you go and sin no more so according to the skeptic jesus broke the mosaic law here but in reality it is the skeptic who is in error since jesus actually followed the law perfectly that's because the mosaic law teaches that the penalty for adultery is death only if there are two or more witnesses who are themselves innocent of the crime in which case both the man and woman who committed adultery were to be punished. Moreover, the innocent witnesses were to throw the first stone. Jesus followed the Mosaic law perfectly in John 8, 3-11, for he required an innocent witness to throw the first stone, and apparently there were none. Far be it from contradicting the Mosaic law, Jesus was insisting that it be followed to the letter. The critic would be wise to read the text more carefully. So, Jesus acted true to his claim in Matthew 5.17 that he came not to abolish the law or the prophets, but to fulfill them. Jesus not only acted in accordance with the law here, but demonstrated just how this particular law regarding adultery was to be practiced. It's obvious that those who accuse Jesus of breaking the law here don't understand the law. Yes, the law states that adultery is punishable by death, but as Jesus reminded the accusers, the Mosaic law also requires that there be two or more witnesses who are themselves innocent of the crime. But apparently there were no innocent witnesses. Now that being said, I do want to say this, we've just refuted this alleged contradiction in a very legal manner, but I don't want us to miss what I believe to be the real takeaway message from Jesus' actions in John chapter 8. See the law did exactly what it was supposed to do, it condemned the woman and exposed her sin, which caused her to fall on the mercy of Jesus Christ. The law can take us no farther than Christ, who is the only one who can save us from condemnation. He lived that perfect life that we never could and gave His life for ours so that we could be free from condemnation. As the scriptures promise us in 1 John 1, 9, if we confess our sins, He, God, is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. The law shows us just how sinful we are in God's sight, and that should drive us into the saving arms of Jesus Christ. Instead of spending all their time trying to disprove the Bible, skeptics need to be thinking about the eternal consequences of denying Jesus Christ.
0: And I think the the, the challenge here is, again, we talk about the mind of Christ. What does that mean? Because it says it in Scripture. It means that we think differently. When we come to know the Lord, we think differently. So when we read the Bible before we know Jesus Christ, we're thinking differently and we read the Bible differently. Then all of a sudden, when our spirits take on the new form of Christ and the mind of Christ begins to enter, when we read the Bible, it's different. Now mm-hmm. it makes sense to us and that becomes very important. So that's really, really something. Good report, Ryan. Corey?
2: All right. Well, today we're going to be taking a look uh, at Deuteronomy chapter 20. And in this chapter, there's a lot of talk about warfare and the rules. God is setting out some rules for Israel. Uh, You know, they're beginning to uh, go into the promised land. They are going to establish themselves as a physical nation with territory. And so God is setting some boundaries for them on what is and is not acceptable during warfare. And one of the rules in Deuteronomy chapter 20 pertains to siege warfare and when it was appropriate for them to enact a siege and when it was not appropriate for them to enact a siege and when they should walk away. So today, you and I are going to be focusing in on ancient siege warfare. From very early times, people have found it necessary to build walls around their living spaces. For cities, these protective fortifications could be quite elaborate, including double wall systems with steep space between to provide a defensive advantage, moats, towers, complex gate structures, and thick wooden metal-covered doors. But just as people worked to fortify their cities, others worked to find ways of destroying them. There were several ways of trying to compromise fortifications, but none was so dreaded than the most obvious, a siege. When an army would attack a walled city, they knew that this battle could last for years, and so it was an expensive, logistically challenging, physically, mentally draining process. A siege essentially imprisoned the citizens of a walled city, giving them two choices—surrender now or face thirst, starvation, and death. Historically, when an invading army finally did break through the defenses of a walled city, major atrocities were committed. Sometimes years of anger and hatred had developed before the excited frenzy of success, resulting in mass murder, abuse, and at best, enslavement. To imprison the citizens inside of their own walled city, an attacking army would set up a perimeter around the city using ditches and moats and building walls and towers. The army would camp and live around these new fortifications. No one or thing could go to or from the city. With these preparations complete, they would begin attacks against the fortifications themselves. These attacks were varied. Sappers would attempt to collapse walls by digging tunnels underneath using wooden support beams. When they believed they were at the right location, they'd set the support beams on fire to cause the tunnels, and hopefully the wall, to collapse. While the sappers were digging, others would attack the walls at strategic locations using battering rams with blades to pry between brick and stone. Fires could be set against the walls with hopes that the great heat would eventually begin to crack and compromise them. Gates were also attacked with battering rams and fire, though once through a gate the military would often have to deal with a tight, winding, defensive space and sometimes a secondary gate. Large ladders were also used to simply scale the wall, and while this was a dangerous business when used altogether, these strategies could be effective in breaching defenses, and at least in lowering the resilience of the entrapped citizens. As for defenses, a city was largely reliant on its height advantage. From the wall, they could shoot arrows, throw stones, pour hot liquid, try to set fires, try to dislodge battering rams with chains, But often, what would stop a siege was out of the city's control, a contagious sickness in the attacking army, a military emergency elsewhere to draw them away, or that the enemy would have overestimated their economic ability to last. Now, there are many, many examples, not only from the Bible, which, of course, there are, of siege warfare, but also in the ancient world. Uh, And I I hope that I've made clear to you what this pertains to. A lot of us, you know, uh, siege warfare in the Middle Ages is similar to how it was in the ancient world, but there were some nuanced differences. So I hope you're able to see that here. Uh, And and it is important to know how brutal this type of warfare was and just how deadly it could be, uh, not only for uh, the the people who were being besieged, but it was also quite a risk and expense for the invading army as well because it could last for so long and and could end with things like plague. And we do see that happen in the Old Testament a few times. We're going to see it as we continue to read through the Bible, especially when we come into the time period of the kings.
0: Very good, Corey. That is excellent. Excellent. Both of your reports are great today. (laughs) Janice?
2: Well, I called mine
1: finders keepers do you remember as a kid on the playground saying finders keepers losers weepers well it always felt good being on the side of the finder the one that got to keep the stuff but if it was something that you knew belonged to you it didn't feel so good knowing that somebody else could just claim it and keep it and take it it hurt a lot And that's what it reminded me of as I was going through these miscellaneous laws in Deuteronomy chapter 22. And God is specific. He he is reminding his people that when you see your brother or your neighbor's donkey um, off on the side of the ditch or they've gotten away, restore it to him. And if you can't find him right away, then actually take the animal or take the item to your home and return it to him at the first chance that you get or if you see something happen and you know that something has happened and it's not it's not something that that's good that has happened don't turn your back on it don't say oh oh i didn't i didn't see that i'm just going to pretend that that didn't happen but to involve yourself now some of you might be saying well this is old testament and you know we don't really need the old testament anymore because we're living in the new testament times well let me remind you what Jesus said when one of his disciples, actually, I believe it was one of the Pharisees, asked him, um, Jesus, what is the greatest commandment? And in Matthew 22, verses 37 through 39, Jesus said to him, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the first and great commandment. And the second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. So let this be a good reminder to us today that a way for us to live and love the people around us, the neighbor doesn't just mean the person that lives next door to you. It's the people around you that you work with, that you live with, that you go to church with, your family, it's everyone. We need to love each other. And the way that we can do that is to watch out for each other, is to care for each other, to not pretend like things don't happen that we don't see and we don't want to get involved and yes, of course there are situations where we shouldn't become involved and you know what i'm talking about this is at the very base level here but that we need to watch out for one another let's not um, take things for ourselves let's not think of ourselves first because clearly in finders keepers losers weepers that was not taking care of the other person. That was being selfish and greedy. So it's the principle here. As followers of the Lord Jesus Christ, let's put others before us. I certainly wouldn't want to be treated that way because it hurt being the one that lost something and realized that somebody was going to take it away. That didn't feel good. So when we want to be treated a certain way, let's do that to our neighbors, which means everyone around us. That's just my little rant Very, for that's, today.
0: That's really good. That, that is good. I think that uh, the, the thing is, that, especially coming out of the pandemic and everything else, we've got to realize that uh, we have to engage with one another. Yes. You know, we can't just stand back, you know, because they might have 75 different viruses. We've got to engage and we've got to, to talk to people. We've got to understand people. And part of that understanding is paying attention to their, what they have yeah. and their needs. And that's what the law really talks about here.
1: And extending grace. That right? grace. Extending grace. It doesn't help you when you say, I can't find my keys. And I say, well, you know.
0: It's too bad for you. Too
1: bad for you. Or, or what else is new? You know, it, rather than just saying, okay, well, let's pray and let's find out where your keys are. Um, you know, it's, it's those kinds of attitudes. Let's have grace and love with each other. It, I think that's a good thing.
0: I think it's true, and and I think you know, like for example, here's a good example. My neighbor, uh, the other day, I had we had a lot of snow, and, and I didn't get a chance to get it, but our my our neighbor came over and did our driveway
1: he blew with a s- snow blower. Snow blower, which
0: is yeah. awesome, but that he was being he was helping me, and that's something that we need to remember and do. I want to remind you that three times a week, Monday, Wednesday, and Friday, we are live on Facebook, YouTube, and Bible Discovery on the internet with video prayer meeting. Prayer meeting, so join us, we'll pray for you. Today, we need to pray. We need to say this, we need to say, Lord, help me not to be conformed by my society, but help me to become a living sacrifice and be changed according to your holy will.